Hello there, and welcome to this new episode of Leadership Conversations with Kemi Ogunkoya, your weekly supercharged transformational show for business leaders like you who are ready to build smart, visionary, and adaptive leadership skills to do their current job more effectively and seamlessly take on higher positions of leadership. On this show, we take you on a journey with inspiring, transformational, and authentic leaders with stories that inspire, principles that catalyze, and insights that will transform your life and business forever. And this is because we believe that the quality and effectiveness of leadership is what determines the fate of systems, businesses, and nations that die, survive, or thrive. Are you ready to dive in? Join the conversation and let the show begin. Okay. Hello, Dr. Chris. How are you doing? I'm fine, Kemi. I'm glad to be with you. Thank you. It's such a great honor to have you here um, joining us on Leadership Conversations with Kemi Ogunkoya. So, guys, we've got Dr. Chris Bauki in the house. And he's joining us all the way from Tanzania. And I'm super excited. So just before I have Dr. Chris, um, you know, start the session, I'm going to read a brief profile about him so that you get familiar with him and you know exactly what he's into. So Dr. Chris Mauki is an expert in social relationships and counseling psychology. He works as a lecturer at the Department of Psychology of the University of Dar es Salaam. Dr. Chris Mauki is an author, he's a coach, he's a mentor, he's a motivational speaker and trainer. And besides curricular activities, Dr. Chris is a TV and radio personality, director of events and an event planner. And family-wise, Dr. Chris is happily married to Miriam, and the two are blessed with two wonderful daughters, Romy and Ronel. And it is such a great honor to have you on the show with us today. Thank you, Dr. Chris. Thank you very much, Kemi. All right. And thank you for coming on Leadership Conversations, um, you know, the hub where we have extremely open conversations with leaders around the world where we help them develop the skills that they need to survive or beyond survive thrive in today's book award and uh, before we get started into all the serious things you know i would like you to tell us a bit about yourself apart from the things that i've just read out in your profile so we can get to know you a, a little bit more thank you kemi thank you very much for opting me in this wonderful platform. Uh, really, the world is a village. And I believe that everybody who will participate in this will really, really benefit. Um, as you have introduced me, I don't have that long bio. Um, Chris Mauki. Um, I'm speaking right away from Dar es Salaam. The busiest and the business city in Tanzania. Uh, I am an expert, uh, a PhD in rela social relationship and counseling psychology. And I am a lecturer at the Department of Psychology 
the oldest and the biggest university, University of Dar es Salaam. But also I work as a managing director and founder of my company called Christom Solutions. Christom Solutions deal with mainly two things, training and uh, psychological services provision. We train corporate companies, government offices, NGOs, but we do, we provide psychological services uh, to corporates, offices, organizations, and individuals as well. And I, I told you I was wrapping up my counseling session with an individual. Uh, so that's what we do. But when we, we provide employee wellness programs in corporates, but then something about that, I'm married to Miriam, and we are blessed with two wonderful daughters. Romy is 13 and Ronel is eight. That's me. Awesome. Thank you very much once again for being here. And uh, on the show, Leadership Conversations, we dive into quite a couple of things, you know, around leaders, around leadership, and pretty much, you know, drive the agenda forward for the preservation of humanity. And, you know, there's this long, age-long contention, really, about leadership, right? And it's about are leaders born, are they made? And I know that um, for sure, Early research and scholars have written about some of the key characteristics of leadership, you know, and some of those include um, charisma, intelligence, you know, quite a couple of things, really. And I'd like to know what your thoughts are on, you know, the position of either leaders are born or leaders are made based on your personal experiences and, you know, your experience as uh, psychologists, right? What do you think? Are leaders born or are they made? Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much, Kemi. Um, you will agree with me that that contention is 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 still a, a, a hot debatable issue till today. Um, Absolutely. I know when we were, I was doing my undergraduate in the organizational behavior, uh, we were asked the same same thing and. Uh, lead, uh, lead. So we had the different school of thoughts that those who are saying leaders are born and those who are saying leaders are mad. But I remember until I finished my undergrad, we never concluded that they are born or they are mad. So after going through the ladder of uh, career, corporate, rubbing shoulders with different leaders, top officials, I think I will stand on the contention that both being made and being born can be applied on the areas that it is true. Some people are born with those elements to be leaders. They got the Bible like the David type. They are born with those elements uh, to be leaders. But then these elements are not enough to stand alone to produce a wonderful leader if there's no element of making. That's where mentorship comes from. That's where coaching comes from. That's where uh, training comes in. That's where role modeling comes in. 
So despite the fact that they were born with those elements, then sharpening them, it needs someone. It needs social learning. It needs observational learning. It needs learning by observing. Then you become like how Solomon saw the father. I know some are not born with these elements at all. There are some who are completely constructed, completely mad. They were reading books about leadership. They were role-modeled. They were coached. They were trained. They were mentored. You go through their family channels and their clan channels, you will never see any, any, any leader, even of 10 houses. The, 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 those leaders on the small, small part of the village, there's nobody. But you find there's somebody who emerged there and be a great leader. And be a great, a great leader. It happens. The father of, the, of our nation, Tanzania, the late President Mwali Nyerere. You don't hear the family history of leadership. And even the children, they have been running for, uh, for, for different sorts of leadership and not so much being successful, but then the father was. If you if you if you go to the to the western and you ask most of fundamental and historical leaders of Africa, Nelson Mandela and Mwalimu Nyerere will be first to be mentioned. So mentorship has a part. The, the the fact that some can be made it has a part, but the fact that some are born with those elements can also. Uh, can also uh, it can also hold water, but then even those who are born, they cannot be enough qualified super as we intend. If the fact of modeling, coaching, mentorship uh, will be forgotten. Wow, fantastic! Thank thank you very much for that. And that you know, I also belong to that school of thought that it's the combination of both elements of uh, nature and then nurture that mm -hmm. help produce great leaders so um i'm curious really what is the psychology of a leader in, in this case you know um if it's around the elements of nature and also there are elements of nurture so which means that some have certain traits in them that help that pretty much position them to be better leaders or effective leaders and you know in the course of that they also have to blend such traits and characteristics with learning but if we would you know look at it in a holistic form what would we say is the psychology of a leader is there even anything like that yes 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 um the psychology of anything the psychology of anything anything that it, <laughs> the psychology in it um the psychology i i i train the psychology of entrepreneurship the psychology of customer care the psychology in anything Anything, 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 parenting, anything. There is also psychology of, of being an effective leader. Um, now, despite the fact that we are talking of leadership, some elements of leadership being naturally acquired or learned or constructed, but then the mainly part of leadership lies on the pillar of character. The fact that 
character needs to be fundamental in leadership. That's what makes us talk of psychology of effective leadership. Because when you're talking of character, you're talking of behavior. When you're talking of behavior, you're talking of psychology. Because psychology is a stud of mind and behavior. Whenever you mention behavior, psychology comes there. So we cannot talk of leadership if psychology of leadership is not there because leadership is about the character. It's about the behavior. Now, character is the point where there's either uprising or falling of leadership. In other words, in character is where a leader will rise or a leader will fall. Whether he has been made, whether he has been born, it doesn't matter. The character will either take them up or take them down. Now, I have probably five small, small things that are very crucial and paramount, very important, and I normally call them, these are the psychology of leadership. One is the ability of a leader being flexible. Flexibility is a behavior. Why is it important for a leader to be flexible? Because not every day things will work as planned. Not always things will work as it has been assumed in on papers, on charts and and pie charts and you know people planned a lot for 2020 and concluded of everything that will work on 2020 December. But probably majority now are working from home. Some have lost jobs. So things doesn't work the way we planned. Yes, it's good to plan, but sometimes things don't work the way. So a leader needs to be flexible. Today you're working from office. Tomorrow you're working from home. Life needs to go on. But number two is the ability of a leader to be an effective communicator. There is no leader who stands alone without the lead, the people who are led. So if there are other people who call this guy a leader or a supervisor or a manager, whoever, there must be effective communication. This is where we are talking of issues of listening, issues of confident speaking, issues of feedback, issues of non-verbal language or body language, and a lot of other things in effective communication. And you know, many of Africans, we don't measure or maximize on effective communication. Let it be in office, corporate, or even in relationships. Number three is the ability of a reader to be courageous. Tenacity, the, the persistence, and the patience is another form of psychology of, of leadership. There's a need to have for a leader to have shock absorbers. Like those of a car. You know, it's, like you cannot differentiate a two-wheel drive shock absorber and a four-wheel drive shock absorber. When you're leading an organization of a big number of people, big profit, 
It's different from when you're leading a small organization. The shock absorbers need to be different. The ability to go through shock, that's courage, tenacity, and passion. Every leader should have that. We have leaders, when they hear shock, they run away before you know everybody runs. But I think the last two is humility, the ability to be humble, and presence, to be present. Be there. Be with people. We have leaders when they are elected or get positions, they run away from the people. They run away from the people they live. They don't they, they no longer drink tea with them at the tea room. They wish even if even if they work on the seven nine floor, they wish to have their own their their own uh, elevator. Elevator. Unfortunately, they share the elevator, but everything they do is the same. They have their own power parking. Their cars are very far from other people. Like if their cars are not using fuel, they're using water. Be with people. Be with there. And the last is responsibility. Ability to be responsible. That's a character. We have people who are not responsible. The ability to accept blames. You know, we have leaders who are pushing blames to the subordinate. Absolutely. Leaders to be ready to be responsible. And I love this saying, uh, when I teach and train leaders, it says, a skunk stinks from the head down. You know, a skunk is this kind of animal. It's, it's stinking. When it goes through somewhere, you will realize that it, passed, it has been there because of the bad smell. So they say a skunk stinks from the head down. So if the organization faces blame, the blame needs to start from the leader. The leader needs to, to accept the blame, not to push them to other people. Why? Because the skunk stinks, stinks from the head down. So you need to accept, apologize, accept the blame, and make the organization move on. So in combination, all those that have spoke. I refer them as a psychology of a leader. Of a leader. Wow. Dr. Chris, that is absolutely phenomenal. And I love that you started with, you know, um, the area of flexibility. And I also love that you touched really on communication, which seems to be a major issue. But then, you know, I, I think I'll stick with flexibility for a while because um, we're pretty much in a situation which you referred to with uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, which pretty much hit the world by storm and necessitated some level of adaptability, you know, in which you started that one of the key psychology of a leader is that of flexibility. You know, and I know that at this time, a lot of businesses, a lot of people are trying to survive pretty much, you know. Um, we know that businesses have been hit, individuals have been hit, some are dealing with grief, you know, loss of a loved one, some are dealing with illnesses, some are having to deal with the fact that um, their jobs have been lost, some are dealing with, you know, depression and quite a lot, lot of things. But then when we look at it from the standpoint of an entrepreneur, for example, you know, who has been hit so badly by this uh, pandemic, how exactly um, should a leader position themselves to survive yeah but also go beyond surviving to thriving and uh, you know I, I want us to look at this from the business standpoint now because i hear lots of you know businesses really struggling and trying to you know just deal with the 
well, I won't even say the aftermath yet because we're still in, you know, the um, the pandemic is still very much around. So how exactly do leaders, you know, position themselves? What changes do they have to make uh, mentally, you know, structurally in their businesses to ensure that they go beyond, um, you know, uh, that, that, that they're, they're not victims of extinction at this time. And they're able to sustain their businesses and go through this, um, you know, pandemic. Okay. Um, uh, thank you for that question. Um, it is true. I know, I know some, um, in the essence of calling it post-COVID, but then some say, no, it's not post because we are in it. We call it post because we no more have cases and life is completely back to normal. Fantastic. Uh, but we are still we are still taking precautions. But then, um, when I'm looking at this, I think there are some factors that can help a person as an individual to sustain and to stand during during and after COVID-19. But then there are some. Factors that are for the organization, not for not for an individual, for organization. For instance, there is a need for every organization to promote this change management skills for the employees and for the management. I have been training several years. But then change management is one of the topics that has been less booked in organizations, in government, NGOs. And when the pandemic happened, when we changed from physical meetings for training to online meetings, because that's the strategy I used to cope with the situation, moving from training face-to-face -to, -face to online, we came to realize majority organizations, management, they were asking us to help them on change management. But you know, this is what I know, that weapons of war are made during peace, not during battle. So these skills were supposed to be instilled to these people when things were okay. Not at the point where somebody is frustrated because has lost a husband or a wife because of COVID. At this point, they can't learn, they can't, they can't comprehend. They are facing issues. It's 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 change management skills, and we're not dealing with grief. Grief is something you can do when somebody has lost somebody. But you know, change management skills was supposed to be something that they've been trained continuously, skills that they have always. So whenever it happens, it hits them, they apply, they trained, they, they already instilled. So that's, that's, that's a little bit of awkward move that we saw happening, giving them change management skills at the point of the destruction, when the destruction is with them. So number one, organization needs to invest training people on change management skills from the lower level to the top uh, Management. Uh, but the other thing is accepting and being positive of the situation. That things will get back to normal, yes. The 
Flights were banned and and the airports were banned. Stopped, no no movement, no air movement, no bookings, no whatever. But then in some countries things are back to normal. Students were at home for almost four months. They're back. They're back to to, to school. But then we need to agree that things will be back to normal. But there are some things that will never be the same. We need to accept that. Need to there, accept are there are some things that will never, that will be, never the be the same. And that's also a theory of change management, that we don't fight change, we cope with change. You don't fight with the fact that life is changing. You see, you had WHO say maybe coronavirus will be there for a long time, so we need to know how to live with it. Absolutely. So probably staying close probably to a sanitizer or uh, a face mask or greetings like Chinese by bending, maybe it will be the talk of a town and no more hunts. Maybe seeing water and places to wash hands, maybe it will be part of our culture. You know, some people will change business completely because their business never survived during COVID and they will never go back to the, those nature of business. So, yes, things will go back to normal. We need to be positive on that. But then there are some things that will not be the same. That's why we call it a new normal. A new normal. A new normal. Fantastic. Fantastic. I think... Part of the big part of the positivity, part of being positive is the fact that we need to thank God that we are alive. That might be the first first thing. You know, I always say it's always start with Thanksgiving. The fact that I am well, I am physically fit, I'm not part of those people who are buried. The fact that I am alive, it's the first thing that I need to say, God, thank you, because investment, planning, analyzing, every other process to succeed, they depend if I am well or I am not well. That's something you cannot do when you are hospitalized. You can do them when you are in the office. And the fact that you are well, that's the first thing. But then, I think there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a need for people to know how to manage fear. I was reading someone and they say Corona is just a part of flu that has been happened even before. But then the COVID-19, it came with a great fear more than the biological disability it had. Many people have been shocked with fear and stress. And the fact that those two reduce the immunity I think they jeopardize a lot of life more than the fact that people are not washing hands. Or... So as we are moving on after COVID, when, when, it, when it will be over or those places that it's passed or over now, I think there's a need to manage our fear because with great fear, you won't be able to go back to normal. You won't be a good parent. You won't be a good manager. You won't be a good leader. You won't be a good husband, a good wife. You can't be better in anything if you are entangled by fear. 
and I know this disease has produced a lot of fear because I I remember I was doing training online training. This one of the one of the leading um, telephone companies. People were asking me question. Some people ask myself. Somebody is saying I ask myself, what if me and my wife die? What what will our children do? Okay. Wow. Now you're not you're, you're not dead. You know now you are here. If you're not there, you know. You are supposed to think when you retire. You might be alive when you retire and not dead. So you better think of retirement, not when you die. Yeah, you understand. So I think there's a need for company to to, to also change their perspectives, replanning because I know a lot of plans, a lot of companies and organizations had plans, and you know plans are married with time and the time was a little bit distracted with COVID. So there is a need to refocus, they need to replan, they need to reorganize, they need to rebuilding the perspectives. I think I think uh, if those are the things that will be done with com uh, with, with, with company organization, at least it will be uh, a move uh, towards changes after after the COVID. The COVID, fantastic. Thank you very much for that. And you, you really touched on fear, right? Uh, you know, as, as, a, as one of the aftermaths, really, of um, the COVID-19 pandemic. And as people start going back to work, you know, employees are going back to work, um, students are going back to school, businesses are gradually opening up all over the world. How exactly, because we can't take away the fact that, you know, fear to a great extent would affect performance. You know, we're talking about how it affects um, productivity. We're talking about, you know, the fact that it even reduces immunity, right? How exactly do people go back to work um, as businesses open up and they're still able to perform optimally? Because I know that there are some employers you know, who would assume that the same people who left the premises of their offices um, before the lockdown are the same people coming back. I think to a great extent, people have been affected by the virus. You know, they have been affected emotionally, psychologically, mentally. How exactly do people go back to work and are able to perform optimally and what do organizations have to do to also support this gradual return to normalcy i think uh, i will for, the, for, the, for organizations that have access to to psychological training i think before they embark themselves to those technical and hardcore trainings uh they are the hard skills i think this is the time to Start with the soft skills. After the change management, now they are coming back to to, to school uh, to, to to office. I think it's time to to do some motivational talks or trainings that will boost their morale because you know fear diminishes their morale. Telling them issues that will bring them the bond probably it's time to talk about team spirits how they can build that spirit which has been eroded by the the, the, the pandemic because we have companies that have lost some 
some employees. So there will be some either new, new people are coming now because they are replacing people. But some are not replaced, but then the jobs, the, the tasks are needs to be occupied by other people. So probably team spirits and, 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 and um, the morale, employee engagements. This is time to probably talk to them about uh, stress management. How to manage their stress. You understand how to cope with 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 crisis. Remember, some people have gone through crisis in the office. Some people have gone through crisis at home, and some people have gone through crisis both in the office and at home. So it's time to start to build the foundation of emotional stability into the staff. Engaging them, the top management, the lower management together, making them as a team, structure their thinking and their mentality because it always starts with the mind, then building one team. And then other things will, will follow the positivity, the optimi being optimistic. Those are the things that will, will uh, help them uh, And probably telling them that to maximize the relationship bond. You know, it's not only building a team but also being friends you know the love not only starts at home but then there should be love between employees between colleagues you know you, you back me up and i back you up you scratch me i scratch you you know we are a team we, we are buddies that, that unity that friendliness needs to be among the, 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 the colleagues you know I, I always love when the office environment be a family. You don't need only to have a family at home, but then the people you work with as a family, you can trust them. That's how that's how I met somebody. Even if somebody gets another good deal somewhere, he says, "I will get a good pay, but I will stay here." Why? Because I love this. Family. Absolutely, I absolutely agree with you. So I have a new book coming up, which is called The Leadership Guardian. You know, it will be launched on the 28th of August next month. And, mm -hmm. you know, it pretty much talks about um, some of the things we have spoken about today. But then I'd like to highlight the place of, you know, team management as one of the key characters or one of the key traits of an effective leader, such that, you know, the leader has to go beyond the position of self to understand the dynamics of the team, to understand, you know, the dynamics of people on the team and, you know, be selfless, be empathetic, be able to put yourself in the shoes of others. And rather than just expecting that, you know, people just magically show up and become um, like ions without any emotions, understanding that people have emotions and you have to be able to attend you know, to them and, you know, relate with them on that level of humanity, right? So, which is why I, I absolutely love the, the things that you have said. And I think they're really profound and key um, characteristics and traits that leaders have to, you know, imbibe now and in the future. And, you know, I, I, I look at your journey. You're someone that I have high regard for, you know, and I see all the things that you do and how you are committed in helping people grow, become better, you know, and, and I also see that you leave, um, you know, these things that you preach, right, which is one of the 
key elements of effective leadership, which goes beyond saying, but actually doing and living. So I'd like you to tell us a little bit about your leadership journey. What are some of the things that have transformed you and have helped you become this great person, this great leader that you are, this empathetic and selfless leader that you are, so that we can learn from you and we can become better leaders too. Yeah, th th thank you, yeah. Kemi. Um, I think... Um, what makes the situation in my place uh, that you see now is um, the fact that I've, I've been really trying. I am not there. I cannot say I am there. It's just like Paul in the Bible. So I'm, not, I'm not there. I'm still fighting the good fight. But then the fact that I'm trying always to leave what I preach, uh, it has really uh, been on my favor. I go to a lot of uh, marriage, uh, relationships, talks, and everything, and, and they will tell me sometimes that we, we, we give our congregation, our people, our staff to, to recommend, and you, you rent number one. And why? Because they say they see what you talk. They see in you what, what, what you talk. And um, I think one of the best quality of a leader is to really leave the word, is to really stand on the words, being the men or women of the words. If you preach wine, you drink wine, or you preach water, you drink water, and not preach one thing and you drink another thing. That is, is, is also very important. Um, um, but, another thing is but another thing is standing firm to, standing what, firm you to <laughs> what you believe. You know, uh, you going know, to your dream, there will be a lot of um, calling, there will be a lot of noises, there will be a lot of... Some things look similar like your vision, like your goal, but they're not really. You know, sometimes, I, I normally tell people, sometimes the industrial fertilizer looks like sugar. But it's not sugar. <laughs> so if you, you you sometimes go and test sometimes it and come to realize that it's not sugar. So the journey to your destiny, sometimes a lot of temptation is, but then standing in believing what the passion you have, it's very important. Because we see a lot of people that come and they have great visions, and then it takes them two, three years, or they go. They change business. They change the vision. The church. Two years. They run away from the congregation. And that's not the quality of a leader. You stand. You stand. You become like a fig tree. Come sun, come rain. You're there. They say good. They say bad. They throw stones. You're there. Until those, when those who do not believe, they start believing you and they start believing what you say. Why? Because they've seen you stand on your philosophy. When the sun, ocean comes, rise, everything is still there. When they fight and they steal your, they still see you have changed the vision, changed the story. When they wake up in the morning, you are still singing the same song. That's how they will prove that that's not only something from school, but also something from a divine calling. But also, I've also, I've also learned that 
Sometimes those we lead, they really, really trust us. They've really put their eyes on us. You know, sometimes you might lead, but then you forget that you are somewhere on the on the top stone and people are looking at you. Yes, there might be two or three who are despising you. They don't they look you down, but there are a lot of people who are looking at you. And I came to realize failure or failure when you fail the organization that the failure does not start on bringing loss to the organization the failure doesn't start on the changing the profit numbers it starts on the inability of a person to make those you lead not trust you when you make them fear have doubts about you. Have doubts about your ability to lead. Have doubts about your position. That's where the failures. And I've really worked on making sure that the trust that they have on me, whoever, whether it's a cleaner or my personal assistant, the trust that they have on me will always, will always be there. And I'll pray to God that I don't want to disappoint. Because disappointing them is disappointing their trust to the organization. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is so profound and absolutely phenomenal. And I, you know, I commend you um, for that. And, you know, I'm grateful that we have leaders that we can absolutely look up to and we, you know, still have leaders that we can trust, right? That we, we are certain that they carry on the virtues of leadership and, you know, like I call them, that they are the leadership guardians who protects that institution of leadership. So uh, we are gradually coming to the end of this session. And before you go, I would like you to share with us quite a couple of things. And one of which is your favorite leadership quote. You know, I know, I know you have so many. <laughs> I know you have so many leadership quotes, but I'd like you to share with us your favorite, you know. Okay, I, okay. I, 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 there's one quote that I put in some of my slides when I train uh, about leadership. I, I, it's from unknown. I don't remember the, but probably between the, the those, those, the philosopher, the Socrates, and those other guys. Okay, it, okay. Leadership is not about being the best, but leadership is about making everyone better. Wow. It's not about being the best. It's not about being the best. That I can stand somewhere and say, I've done that, I did that. It's about me, nobody else. But it's about make sure that everyone who are around me is better. That's why you find somebody has moved from this organization to, to a certain organization, but he's still in love with the boss or the leader from the organization that he left. It's because... Wow. It's not about being the best. It's about making sure that everyone else is better. It's better. Fantastic. Fantastic. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to take note of that, stick it up on my wall, you know, and just pretty much drill down on that. Now, tell us, how do you unwind? You know, because, yeah, you're a lecturer, you know, you're an event um mc you're i don't know you do so many things how do you unwind 
Yes, uh, that, that's a very common question that many, many people when I appear in BBC, in, in Voice of America, in local TV and channels and radios, they'll ask me like, where, where do you guys rest? <laughs> it's like, let me show you something. Um, do you, do you, do you see, um, you see, you see there? I'm a yes. sleeping coach. Oh, I see. I see. I see. Oh. <laughs> but if I had, I had, if I had probably late sleeping because of work or training or night events at night, then somewhere in the day I will lock myself and have my two hours nap right in my office. I have a bathroom, I have a toilet in my, my office, so I will, I will just, because I value my sleeping time. I train, one of the topics that I train is work-life balance, and I talk about the risks and negative consequences of not having enough sleep. So I really maximize on my time to sleep. But also, because of being busy, I have opted to have two vacations annually. So the first vacation, that the one that you saw, I probably August, didn't take me. <laughs> that is vacation for me and my wife. And the one in December, that's for my family. Yeah, I have a principle in my family that the kids came before. We came before them, so they need to respect that. <laughs> One of the most enjoyable vacations is me and my wife. Then the end of the year is me and them. And um, I maximize the quality time. In fact, you know the five love language? One of my primary language is quality time. So uh, despite the fact that I'm busy, in a, week. in a week, somewhere on Friday, somewhere on Friday I will have coffee, a drink with my wife in the evening. So most of the time on Friday, I'll finish time with my clients and my training somewhere in the midday because the rest of the day will be occupied by the week. And every Sunday, every Sunday church, we have a family culture of having a brand discussing what happened in the church, school, everything. Every Sunday, but then two to three times a week. Two to three times uh, to three days a week. I normally try to come early at home so that I can have time with them, discussion with them about school, check their homework, and probably pray with them and kiss them before they sleep. Uh, so even if I become so extremely busy, but then at least two or three days, I'll have time to, to go to, to stay together at home. And yeah, wow. we will talk a lot. My daughters are close friends to me, and we have wonderful time. We have wonderful time. We, me and my wife, we, 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 we are deep lovers. We do exercise a lot. So probably before seven, my office, my wife and I have already run well, 15 or 20 kilometers in the morning. 
So I train my my my, my mind that way, and I have I really appreciate and I see a lot of good and better and best for my life. Fantastic, fantastic, fantastic! Thank you very much for sharing that. You know, because I know that all of this, um, you know, work life integration and balance principles that you adopt take a high level of intentionality. So, which means that you know it doesn't just happen; it happens because you value these things, you make time, you know, and you are committed to to achieving, you know, that wholesome integration and balance in your life. So thank you very much for sharing that. I'm sure some of our viewers are taking notes already and they will start implementing and adopting some of these techniques and insights that you have shared with us today. It has been a phenomenal time. It's been a phenomenal experience with you on the show. And before we let you go, we're going to let you, you know, leave us with some parting words. We're not just going to let you go like that. <laughs> you have to leave us with some parting words and, um, you know, something that we can absolutely hold on to. I know you have said quite a lot already. And one thing I always say is that insights without action is useless. So I'm sure that everyone who is on this call, you know, who's listening to this message, it has taken notes already. And we'll start adopting and implementing some of these insights right from today. So before you go, Dr. Chris, your parting words. It has been a wonderful moment for sure. Wonderful moment for sure. Uh, probably the last words I will um, I will leave the people with. I am my philosophy and my principle in life is first priority in my life is God, then my family. Then other things come. But then, despite the fact that we have, we know that leadership is about results. It's about results. It's about things that people can observe that you have done this, you have done that. But I will also need to leave this with you that make sure you not only succeed at work, at your organization, at your career, only make sure you also succeed in your role as a husband, as a wife, as a father, and as a mother. Many people think that in order to succeed at work, you need to lose at home. In order to succeed at home, you need to lose at work. It is impossible. You can do the best both sides. How? Make sure the energy you put in striving to the top ladder at work, the same energy, the same heart, the same vein you use to do the same in your position of a wife, a husband, a father, and a mother. And you will be the happiest creature in this planet if you will see your family prosper and your career, your leadership position prosper, and your leadership at home prosper. Be a leader in both positions. Yes. In all areas, fantastic, fantastic. Uh, that's really, really, really profound. You know, I think that's one of the myths around having that full life integration, where something that uh, they have to achieve success in one thing at the expense of the other thing. And I like how well you have demystified that, and you know, beyond demystifying it, how well you also live it. So you have given us your parting words, but as we do on Leadership Conversations with Kemi Ogukoya, we have a dry redo for you just before you go. And let's see how well you do on this one. All right, so the redo is this. I have one thing 
and I get wet as quick as I get dry. What am I? <laughs> Can you repeat again? I get, yeah, okay. So I am something, I get wet as quick as I get dry. What you am get I? Wet <laughs> as quick as you get dry. Dry. Ah. <laughs> Let me know when it's time to help you on the Zoom. <laughs> as quick as you get dry. Is it not soil? It's not soil. <laughs> okay, so um, the answer, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, is towel. You know, a towel. Your oh. everyday essentials. <laughs> You know, the moment it's dry, then it's wet again, and it continues on that endless cycle. All right. At at the effort of making somebody dry. (laughs) Interesting, (laughs) right? All right. Thank you very much, Dr. Chris. It has been an absolute amazing time with you. Thank you. Great insights, great conversations. Honest conversations, you know. One thing on the show is that we say we, um, you know, have great experiences. We have principles that catalyze, you know, which is some of the things that you have shared with us, and we absolutely do not take it for granted. So thank you very much uh, for coming on Leadership Conversations with Kemi Ogunkoy, and we hope to have you very soon again, you know, when next we call. Thank, thank you. you. Very much. <laughs> I'm grateful. I'm grateful. Thank Thank you. You You have been listening to Leadership Conversations with Kemi Ogunkoya. Now it is work o'clock. Always remember that insights without action is useless. And just before you go, if you are a high-performing executive or forward-thinking professional or you are an innovative entrepreneur who would like to build smart, visionary, and adaptive leadership skills to do your current job more effectively and seamlessly take on higher positions of leadership, then you should by all means request an introductory session with me at www.relliesworks.com. And together with my team, we will be happy to work with you, your team, or your organization. Also, if you have enjoyed this episode, do me a quick one. Go to relliesworks.com forward slash podcast to leave a public review and share the link to this episode with others. Till I see you again next week, keep the conversation alive. Hello there, and welcome to this new episode of Leadership Conversations with Kemi Ogunkoya, your weekly supercharged transformational show for business leaders like you who are ready to build smart, 
visionary and adaptive leadership skills to do their current job more effectively and seamlessly take on higher positions of leadership. On this show, we take you on a journey with inspiring, transformational and authentic leaders with stories that inspire, principles that catalyze and insights that will transform your life and business forever. Are you ready to dive in? Join the conversation and let the show begin. Hi, hello, wonderful viewers and listeners. Welcome to Leadership Conversations with Kemi Ogunkoya. Today, you're on to another wonderful episode, and I have a very special guest with me in the studio today. Her name is Dudu Nsomi, and she is the founder and CEO of Vasari Leadership Partners, a research-oriented strategic advisory and consulting company. Um, you know, Vasari Leadership Partners is a boutique firm of new generation individuals steeped in qualifications, experience, and capabilities that are driven by performing and achieving measurable results and making a difference in everything they do. Um, and they have been in operation since 2009. Thank you very much, Dudu, for coming on Leadership Conversations. It's such a great honor to have you here today. Thank you so much for the invitation. You're, you are absolutely welcome. So, Dudu, we would like to get to know you a lot more. You have such an amazing and extensive profile, and we would love to hear more about you from you. <laughs> it's never good to talk about yourself. It's always better when somebody uh, introduces you. So, Dudu is Zulu. It means uh, comforter. Um, and uh, am, uh, oh, I have been in this space of leadership since 2009, as you said. Um, I consider myself an expert generalist. And what I mean about that is that I have, I breadth and depth of knowledge across different disciplines, across different qualifications, which I hope makes me help, helps me to strike a good balance between um, depth and breadth in terms of advising clients, in terms of management, leadership, strategy, and governance issues. Um, I work mainly with leaders. Uh, and in my world, the definition of leaders is board members, management, and entrepreneurs. Uh, yeah, I think for now, that's what I can share about myself. Hi. <laughs> Thank you very much um, for sharing that. And like I said, it's such a great honor and a great privilege to have you on the show today. Um, I'm sure we're going to have a great conversation and our listeners are eagerly waiting to, you know, just soak up so much from you and so am I. And, you know, the first question I would like to ask will be about leadership, which, um, you know, is, a, is an area that you are really grounded and, you know, a great expert at. Now, in the past, a lot of people have considered leadership to be about charisma to be about intelligence to be about personality traits and you know that the key to effective leadership really centers around some of those in fact um it's been it's been attributed by some that leadership is more about your inborn characteristics you know and there's been that school of thoughts around our leaders made 
or are they born? You know, what are the skills? What are the traits that really make up for great leadership? Uh, so I would like to know what your thoughts are. You know, when it comes to building effective leaders or grooming effective leaders, what do you think matters most? Are they the innate traits or, you know, the learned traits? Well, I've decided to turn the entire conversation around. Um, in the work that I do, I do a lot of work around personal leadership. And I've, I've come up with my own definition of what leadership is. And then we can talk uh, about. So uh, uh, my definition, which is copyright, you didn't saw me. <laughs> so it's the ability to direct, to shape, and to influence into the future a new and unknown reality. And in that definition, as you can see, Kemi, there is nothing that talks about position. There is nothing that talks about title. So I've come to learn over the years that leadership is not about a position. First of all, you must first be able to lead yourself. Um, that is why personal leadership is in the foremost of any um, conversation around leadership. Uh, we talk about in order to be a leader, you must have followers. Um, I believe that if you do not have yourself as your own follower, then you have a problem, which is why we at this point in time having people who are following so-called leaders blindly because they themselves don't have in their core their ability to lead themselves. So I don't put much stock in in like um, the discussions around whether they are born or whether they are made, because I think sometimes circumstances um, cause you to 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 rise to the occasion. Um, we always uh, refer to our Madiba, um, our first president, uh, um, you know, Mr. Nelson Mandela, and. The question is, was he born a leader or did the circumstances bring up the leadership qualities in him? And most of us, you'll find that if it's if you're not talking in the context of corporate, many of us become leaders because of the circumstances. Um, so I think it will be very uh, short-sighted of me to be naming traits because I think in the era of Donald Trump, we've all become very circumspect about what qualities leaders should have. I don't think we have any of those. But the one thing I would like to say, in the context of good leadership, one thing I think is non-negotiable is ethics. Leaders need to be ethical. So we can talk more about that. What what does it mean to be an ethical leader? Mm, fantastic. And, you know, I, I totally do agree with you. Uh, because I, I also work with leaders, I coach, I train leaders, and I say that most often than not, an area that seems to be neglected a lot of times is when, when we talk about leadership, 
it's really about the place of character and leadership. So I hear um, a lot of people talk about the place of vision, the place of charisma, uh, the ability of a leader to be able to influence others, um, you know, the ability to negotiate, to be able to communicate effectively, and quite a couple of other things. Uh, but I, I see that conversations around the place of ethics, the place of character is usually undermined. Now, why yeah. do you think that seems to be the case? And what can we do to start driving conversations around, um, you know, just ensuring that the place of um, character is not undermined when we talk about leadership? We also have to have appreciation when we're talking ethics, um, that sometimes when you say ethics, people think religion or think morality. I think there is a place um, when we talk ethics, which is about universal principles, just universal principles which go beyond religion. Just when you answer, is this good or bad? Is this right or wrong? Um, there are areas that are universally true, regardless of our cultures, regardless of our nations. Um, so ethical leadership, also can have a context um, that it can evolve with the values of a society. So when you talk about um, slavery, I'm sure there were so-called good leaders in the era of slavery. Uh, and if we evaluate them now, we would not see them as good leaders at all uh, because society's values also change. Uh, so I think that's part of why people tend to steer away from using ethical uh, conduct as a way of uh, deciding whether somebody is a good leader or not. But in our context, I think in the 21st century, it really has come to the forefront because of the impact leaders have in terms of our livelihood, in terms of just the conditions of the world. You can just see, looking at our world today, uh, even though a pandemic has happened, uh, we have COVID-19, you think of how the different countries have handled this pandemic also depends largely on the quality of leadership. Um, so I think the character has come to the forefront a lot um, in the 21st century. So for me, when you talk about African leaders particularly, because when you look at us on, on the global stage, we're not seen as uh, exemplary, an exemplary continent, which is why we had the American um, president having the audacity to call our countries the SO countries, which I'll not uh, repeat. Um, and when we look at um, a definition of ethical leadership, um, I'm, I'm informed a lot by um, what Raymond Ackerman um, propagated in South Africa. He was the leader and uh, he was the CEO of Pick and Pay. He was the founder of Pick and Pay, which is a retail store. And he used to talk a lot about enlightened self-interest. And in that context, you're talking about, you look at what's in your own interest, but you also look at what serves others as well. And I think when we're talking Africa, that's what we should be talking about. Nobody's saying that leaders and individuals shouldn't progress materially, 
but they should not do it at the expense of their people. And that's what we have not been doing very well in Africa. Fantastic. Thank, thank you very much um, for that. And, and I found that really, really interesting uh, because it seems that generally on the African continent, we seem to be in very peculiar times. Um, you know, just a, a dive on Twitter uh, last week, um, you know, there were quite a lot of hashtags buzzing from different countries in Africa. Um, in Nigeria, you have the ANSAS movement, uh, you have the Congo is bleeding, you have shut it all down, you have uh, Namibia, you know, crisis, you have Anglophone crisis, you know, you have, um, you know, you know it, there just seems to be a lot of outcry, you know, an outpour of emotions, um, dissatisfaction around where leadership is headed, uh, you know, and I know that pretty much it all falls and starts on, you know, pretty much just rests on the shoulder of leadership, right? And looking at it from the African context um, in, in relation to what you just said about, um, you know, leadership, here in Africa, what exactly do our leaders need to start doing to change the narrative um, around what leadership really entails? And, and I, I, I think that's, that's um, an area that I'd like you to, to talk to us about. What do our leaders really think, need to start yeah. doing? You know, I think the starting point everybody should ask is, why, why do you deserve to be followed? why do you deserve to be a leader? I think a lot of people that take on uh, the role and the position usually come from being self-serving. Um, they assume uh, that just because they have a position and a title that they have, um, they can, um, you know, have my respect and they take that for granted. And, and it is our fault, um, the followers, the citizens that have allowed that to happen. So where we should start uh, is for every individual to ask, why do I deserve the honor? Because it is an honor and a privilege to, to be able to direct and lead and influence people uh, to whatever vision, um, even to even have the 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 respect of people wanting to follow whatever vision you have um so that's my starting point but the second part when it comes to africans uh we talk a lot in this context of 2020 about black lives matter on the african continent not just in the american context um especially after uh the the incredible atrocities that happened on American soil, I saw for the first time on the African continent, also as fighting and, and being very unhappy about it. But as much as we all asking Black Lives Matter, I want us to ask, do we matter to ourselves? And I'm finding that answer when we look at how we are as a continent, very uncomfortable, because I'm not sure that us amongst ourselves and within ourselves, we believe that we matter, which is why we elect the leadership we have and the leadership 
has the audacity to treat us the way that they do. Um, so mm. that should be our starting point as Africans. We, do we matter to ourselves? And if we do matter to ourselves, we will elect, elect the right leaders that care for us. Look after your interests in terms of progressing in life, in terms of uh, having a you know progressive quality of life, but don't do it at the expense. I mean, the billions that we spend as Africans and, you know, which we call corruption, um, instead of building the infrastructure, instead of building the quality of lives of Africans, I mean, it's just, it boggles my mind. How do we sleep with each other or with ourselves um, as human beings? Just before you even think of us as Africans, just as human beings. How do you put your head on the pillow and sleep properly? Um, so those are the conversations I would like Africans to start engaging around. The whole thing around traits and whether we're born or not born, it doesn't matter. What are we doing? When we get those positions, do we deserve them? And what are we doing to, to, to improve the lives of people? Right, right, great, um, and great, great conversations. And you know, I, I really love when you talk about the place of the citizens. Um, you know, getting to that sense of awareness, also waking up and rising up to the place of duty and responsibility. You know, because I, I think that even as citizens of um, the different countries that we belong to, we also have a level of responsibility that lies on us to ensure that we're you know, feeding in the right people, uh, we hold them accountable, and then we're also playing our own roles as um, citizens. In fact, I, I wrote a book um, called The Leadership Guardian, and one of the chapters um, in the book is called Citizen Leadership, right? And which means that getting people to that point of awareness where they know that wherever they have found themselves uh, right now in terms of national leadership they also have contributed greatly to that yeah uh, what yeah an interesting yeah. conversation around that is a place of um self-awareness really for citizens uh within the context of uh you know leadership within their countries so a lot of people will say that you cannot give what you don't have and um you know the, the leaders probably do not even know so much to be able to give so much now when it comes to the place of citizens for example um within these countries how can we get people to that place of awareness because a lot of times i think that um maybe perhaps the citizens don't even know that they have um you know that they, that they have that level of duty and responsibility or they're not even aware of what um they carry inside of them so how are yeah. we able to ensure that we raise that level of consciousness and people are more aware enough to know what the responsibility and duties are as it has to do with them and also just stepping up and you know not being used to the used to the norm as we've known it yeah i think the one thing we should never do and which we have done as africans is to undermine the impact of colonialism and apartheid it has destroyed the essence of who we are 
and the appreciation of who we are. And I think for generations now, we've we fought a, for political freedom. And economic freedom has been elusive, largely because that comes from your identity, the appreciation of the identity that you have and that you are. I can't remember the saying or the story around the elephant that didn't know that it was no longer trained and uh, didn't move. I think that's where we are. We may, may think, we may know intellectually that in many countries we are free, but we really have not taken it to heart to understand the power of what that means. And with power comes responsibility. I, a lot of us uh, have abdicated our lives to others. In the past, we, we fought Europeans to regain our dignity and our freedom. We are struggling to now fight people that look like us who are delaying our true freedom, because I really believe we're not free until we can decide our own destinies. Um, so it really comes from every African child, every African human being on this continent and outside, really understanding that we are equal. Because I think there's an essence of us that really doesn't believe that we are equal, that we are deserving. Um, I was just having discussions with some MBA classmates um, some time back um, and talking, especially in South Africa, you you really did not see large numbers of white people begging in the streets. Uh, over the last few years, uh, you've started seeing that. And we were talking about how other Africans African people feel uncomfortable when they see white people begging, and yet when they see another African begging, they think that's normal. There is something very wrong, very wrong with us. Um, there is um, a lot that we have to do internally for our power to show externally. The, the, we have to go back to the drawing board and regain, um, you know, the power in, in, in inside. Um, and understand that we have been damaged, which is why we also tend to um, fight more with each other as Africans um, than we would with other races, um, because we we don't we don't give each other the respect that we give other races, unfortunately. So let's go back to the drawing board and regain and know. The starting point is we are equal. So that's just, it's a given. How do we then live out that equality and and give ourselves the dignity? The idea that I need a white person to affirm me and give me the dignity, it's just, it's I, I don't understand it. I, I need to give myself uh, the dignity and to respect myself and the way I make decisions as a leader whether I'm in business or in politics or in civil society, will show how I respect myself. And 
at the moment we make decisions that uh, are not showing respect for who we are. There is no way I can be a billionaire in a sea of poverty and feel good. It just, um, it just amazes me that we do, that people with all the wealth uh, will not mind passing potholes, will not mind passing slums. Uh, you can fly in with your private jet. But, you know, when, when you go to Europe, they don't see you any differently, really, from the other people that are living in the slums. So we all should just lift each other up. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Thank you very much for sharing that so profoundly. Um, so my next question is this, Juju. Whose responsibility is, is this? You know, and when it seems like, um, you know, generally you look at the space and it seems like the government or, or those, in, those position of leadership are not really stepping up to um, the responsibility of ensuring that we're able to create that sense of identity uh, that's so grounded in our knowledge of self and our true words. So who exactly has to step to that um, podium to ensure that we're able to start driving this change um, that is absolutely necessary? I think everybody, it's everybody from home. You know, most times we start abdicating to schools, which is not correct. This all, it starts at, in, in our homes, it's in our schools, it's in every situation where we gather, where we have the ability to teach each other. Um, uh, yeah, uh, we just don't have those honest conversations enough, uh, I, I find. We, 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 we skirt around the issues. <laughs> um, we don't call each other out. Um, on what I call our own nonsense. Um, and so in every arena, wherever human beings congregate, um, in my world, I work a lot with mentees. Um, so, and it's my mentees are not always younger than me. Sometimes they are my age and sometimes they are older. Um, people that seem to enjoy the way I look at at life and the values that I espouse and and we engage around different things um, and a lot of my work is around personal leadership and it's about identity I'm very proud to be African um, and I'm rooted in that because I know for sure when I'm in the US in Australia or anywhere in the world when you look at me you know my origin is Africa so it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether you West Africa, South Africa, it doesn't matter. For me, I am African. So conversations that I have, whether it's mentoring or in coaching, if somebody's interested in the identity thing. So even if you're talking about leadership and, and performing effectively in your in, in, in your position, you if you are not strong inwardly, and you don't know who you are, it's very difficult to excel. Um, you know, whether you're a CEO or whatever executive position. So issues of identity and how you see yourselves are in everything that we do. So the starting point is wherever we gather. Um, the one fascinating person I've met um, is Fela 
Duratoy. <laughs> I remember meeting him for dinner years ago, long before he decided to run for um, the presidency. And uh, he took out like piece of paper, he was drawing, talking about values, talking about the importance of what we should be in terms of our character in order to change this continent. And I remember after the conversation, uh, talking to his wife, Tara, and I was like, is this guy going to be the future president of Nigeria? She's like, why? What did you say? I was like, I have never seen any human being be so passionate about being African. I thought I was passionate African, but he is a passionate Nigerian first and a passionate African. You need people like that in every space that you're in. We call each other out. We, we challenge each other. We ask each other, what are you doing to lift up the image of Africans? And, no. and for me, those are the conversations that I enrich in. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and uh, you know, I can literally feel, you know, just how much you're passionate about this, um, about the things that you have shared with us so far, and, you know, um, all that you do, which is really amazing. And, you know, I'm, 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 we are curious, really, what has your journey to leadership been like, you know, because um, sometimes the environment or, you know, our, our immediate environment really has not prepared us, you know, for some of the roles and some of the responsibilities that we currently um, have been able to shoulder. So what has your personal journey been to who you are today? What has been those um, key moments that have shaped you and has transformed you to be this person who is rooted in identity as an African, who is a leadership development strategist and expert, and you know who is pretty much changing the narrative uh, for Africa and Africans. What has that journey been till today? I think first it starts with uh, the family that I'm from. Uh, my grandfather was Lancelot Peter Msomi, and he was actually the first African, I think, to speak in the South African Parliament, which obviously in the 40s excluded African people. Um, and uh, so I, as much as he passed away when I was one, I grew up with stories uh, of my heritage, which made me very proud. Um, and the learnings that I come with are you you cannot just do for yourself. Um, you can't just be focused on your financial well-being. You have to also look after your community. And my community is African. So that is my route. And, and then I was fortunate enough to have um, parents. I, I was fortunate enough to have parents um, that uh, protected protected my my uniqueness. And um, you know, sometimes as a child, as much as I was shy, I think I had an inward strength, and I always had a way of looking at the world and life differently. And um, they did not shut that off. You know, they allowed it to flourish. 
So by the time I got into the corporate world and was introduced to amazing mentors, um, my first uh, mentor was Mr. Zomodise, who was the chairman of the first organization that I worked with, which was Sachi and Sachi, and then the CEO, William Leach. Um, I, I mean, I just recently had the conversation with William Leach to say, why did you allow me to be the person that I am without forcing me to comply to a job description? And uh, he kind of said, you know, the minute you walked into the space, you just, you made us know that you were equal and you are equal to the task. So my leadership journey really has been through being allowed to be who I am and getting affirmation that my personal way of being is okay. It's not always easy because you also in spaces where ethics are not always appreciated, but um, I had enough um, things happening to affirm to me that life is worth sacrificing, that my identity is, well, is worth sacrificing for, that the dignity of being an African female and an African is worth sacrificing for. So sometimes the decisions that I've had to make have not had financial um, windfall and it was out of choice because I am changing the narrative that you do not have to be corrupt. You do not have to be a particular way. Power comes from your ability to influence and sometimes the ability to influence comes from people respecting you and you being consistent. People trusting that who you are and what they can get from you is consistent regardless. And and that's the narrative that I have been trying to change. I totally believe that powerful, powerful individuals that also are humble and ethical are the most intoxicating leaders we have today. And I am very, very determined to prove that. So the positions that I have obtained and the things that I continue to do in life, I do them in spite and despite of the values that I carry. And I will, you know, we, I may never be a billionaire, but that's okay. I have a, a good life. It could get better. So it's not like I'm closing myself to financial well-being. I'd love to have that, but I shall not do it at, at, at the expense of of the values and uh, uplifting myself as an African. Well, thank you very much uh, for sharing that with us. That is so profound. And, um, you know, just you talking around the place of values, 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 we cannot, um, you know, underestimate just how important our values shape us and transform us at and you know, just shape every other thing around us and can actually make us become better and also make other people become better. So thank you very much um, for sharing that with us. Now, we would like to know, you know, because we know you're a woman of so many colors, you're amazing, you know, and um, just before we let you go, would like to know what you would consider as one of your 
favorite leadership quotes. You know, it could be a quote uh, by you <laughs> or from someone else. And even if you don't do quotes, that's okay. But I what is one? If you follow me on social media, I'd like put quotes. Quotes, I think, crystallize a lot of thoughts. Um, so I love quotes. The one that I enjoy, it's not, it, it's generic. It's not necessarily just around leadership. Um, mm. um, it says one man, and obviously as modern women, we always say one woman. Okay, mm. so, but I'll go to the original quote. It says one man cannot do right in one department of life whilst he is occupied in doing wrong in any other department. Life is one indivisible whole. And that is from Mahatma Gandhi. I love that because to me, it reminds me every day that I am an integrated human being. I cannot say I am doing something unethical and corrupt in the corporate space and yet at home, I'm a good person. It's just impossible. We are one indivisible whole. So I love that quote because it's actually my daily quote that I have on my calendar every day to remind me that whatever, in whatever space I'm at, I'm in, I must be consistent and I must be, the values that I treasure should be uh, exhibited wherever I am, even when it's difficult sometimes. Absolutely, absolutely. I absolutely agree with you on that, uh, you know. So there's, there's something I say, I say that if there's a high level, if there's a wide disparity between who you are at home, who you are at work, and who you are when you show up to others, then there's absolutely something wrong somewhere. So uh, yeah. here you talk yeah. about the place of consistency, and uh, really that's where we should all be as individuals, where there's that level of consistency across um, in every area of our lives, and we're able to also you know, as much as possible, attain a high level of integration across board in every facet of life. So thank you very much um, for that. I would also put that up um, on my page later this week as one of the quotes that, <laughs> you know, That's it. Yeah. from you. So thank you for sharing that. And now we know that you're, you know, you're really busy. So here you are talking about the board meetings that you have over the next week, you know, there are lots of engagement and there. So in all of this, how do you unwind? Well, my favorite thing to do, which during lockdown was like a nightmare not to be able to do. So I do reflexology. I have to do it twice or so a month. Um, sometimes once a month. I have to have a massage. So I love Thai massage particularly, though in Lagos I had the best Balinese uh, massage ever. I, and, wow. and, I, and I said to the lady, if ever I go to Bali and they don't give me this quality, and she was a Nigerian, so she was not from Bali. It was wow. the most amazing. Uh, so I love, um, before I used to see facials as relaxing and manicures and pedis, but now no, because I have to do them quite often, sometimes work in a work-related situation. Yeah. But I love travel. The one thing I do enjoy travel. Uh, so 
the nice thing is I can work from anywhere, you know, outside of me having to interact with clients. But now that the online world is open, which I've been wanting to open for the last 10 years, um, <laughs> it's even going to be more amazing. So I'm able to spend a week there or a week there just like working in different environments. Um, but I love traveling. Nigeria is one of my favorite places to, to visit. Um, yeah, but I love traveling. I was just thinking last year, this time we were in Spain. Can you imagine um, how life changes so quickly? Hey, so um, yeah, so I love, I love the continent of Africa. I love to cover each and every corner. Um, but I also love traveling the world because I always say you have to know the world so that you know what you don't want happening in your own country and in your own continent. And also to know where people come from so that they dare not tell you you are less than them because you know exactly where they come from. Absolutely. Thank you very much um, for that. Now, like it is our practice on the leadership conversation with Kemio Gukoya. Uh, we have a riddle. <laughs> Oh my, my brain is not awake. <laughs> oh, this girl. Okay. All right. Let's give it a shot. Okay. So the, the question is this. <laughs> so what is that one um, question that you can never answer yes to? What is that one question that you can never answer yes to? <laughs> Let's give it a shot. <laughs> what is the question that I can never answer yes to? Yeah. Oh gosh, I don't want to be morbid. No, it's like, not. It's not. <laughs> like, the, the only one I'm thinking of is, uh, you know, if I'm dead, like there's no way I can answer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that, that that's one. <laughs> but then, like, so when you're sleeping, right, you shouldn't be able to say, "Oh yeah, so are you sleeping?" You, you shouldn't answer. <laughs> yes, I'm sleeping. If, if you mean. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why my mother, my mother, uh, when I'm visiting home, she was like, "Oh, are you asleep?" And you're like, "I'm sure I was sleeping, but now obviously not." <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. So dead and asleep. Close enough. <laughs> Really, really great one. Thank you very much for that. Um, it's been a great time with you on the show. A uh, lot of learning, a lot of sharing, uh, you know, lo lots of insights. And, you know, I say a big thank you to you. And, um, you know, we look forward to having you again. Uh, but before you go, we would like you to leave us with a parting word, you know, a charge, if I would call it, that we can... Um, that our, our listeners can hold on to um, amidst the other amazing things that you have shared with us today? Uh, oh, well, one thing, I would like to invite them to follow me on 
uh, channel, YouTube channel called Wisdom Personified. Uh, there I try and curate African wisdom. The one thing I've loved since I was a child was quotes. The one thing I find unfortunate is that I'm not quoting enough Africans. Uh, so this channel of mine, I'm trying to interview people, uh, African people that I call wise. So over generations, I hope we will start using those quotes of wisdom um, to, to share knowledge amongst ourselves. But in closing, just to say, as Africans, we are amazing. Until we really understand what that means, we are never going to realize our true potential. So no matter how difficult it is in whatever space you're in, try very hard to be the one that does the right thing, that makes sure that you are looking after other people, not just yourself, and that uh, we bring honor to ourselves as Africans. Well, thank you very much um, for that, Dudum Sumi. We've had a great time with you. We look forward to having you again um, very soon, <laughs> you know, and even hosting you when that same us. All right. So, guys, that's, um, that's it on Leadership Conversations with Kemi Ogunkoya today. Um, you know, I'm sure you've had lots of great insights, lots of learning. Remember, like I always say, that insights without action is useless. Uh, so you should run along with this new insights and start putting them into action. So till we see you again, take care. Have a wonderful week. Bye. You have been listening to Leadership Conversations with Kemi Ogunkoya. Now it is work o'clock. Always remember that insights without action is useless. And just before you go, if you are a high-performing executive or forward-thinking professional or you are an innovative entrepreneur who would like to build smart, visionary, and adaptive leadership skills to do your current job more effectively and seamlessly take on higher positions of leadership, then you should by all means request an introductory session with me at www.relliesworks.com. And together with my team, we will be happy to work with you, your team, or your organization. Also, if you have enjoyed this episode, do me a quick one. Go to relliesworks.com forward slash podcast to leave a public review and share the link to this episode with others. Till I see you again next week, keep the conversation alive.